0: Well, we're continuing our series called What Happens on Sunday, where we're talking about why we do the things that we do on Sunday morning during worship. And, uh, you know, like Taylor's mentioned this morning, we're going to be talking about, about communion. You know, so it's probably been, you know, I hope helpful and informational at least for you to kind of figure out why we do these certain things and why we, you know, where they come from and why we do them the way that we do them. Uh, But my my hope and my prayer also for us during this series is that um, these Sunday morning practices that we have won't just be a routine for us. They won't just be something we, you know, kind of check off the list each week and say, okay, hey, we did that, good, whatever. But they'll become these transformational moments for us that we'll see the power of what Jesus does in these moments when we're gathered together in his presence and they won't just be a thing we check off a list, but something we'll look forward to and something that will be helpful for all of us. And so as we dig into, you know, communion and what communion is, you know, for a lot of us, maybe communion is a little bit confusing or a little bit interesting because different churches do it different ways. So depending on your background, you'll be like, huh, well, at this church, they do it this way, and here we did it this way, and as a kid, we did it this way, you know, and is it just like, when I was a kid, I was like, it's just like... Snack time for the adults because like this little thing of bread, little juice. I was like, well, children's church snacks has it way better. I mean, you get a whole bunch of goldfish and like a whole juice cup, and sometimes you get seconds. I mean, you don't get seconds of this, right? So like, what you know, what's really going on here? So to help us out, I want to start with just a little history lesson of where we get communion from, and the place you know we have to start is the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all record. This story called the Last Supper. And sometimes that's, you know, you may have heard communion referred to as the Last Supper or the Lord's Supper. And it comes from these stories in the Gospels. Now, John is the oddball. John, in his Gospel, mentions that they have a meal, and that's about it. Then he goes right on and spends the whole time talking about Jesus washing the disciples' feet. He doesn't really talk about what happens at the meal. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke do. And so I'm just gonna, you know, read to you here. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 26, this is what, how Matthew describes this, this meal. He says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So that's, that's the story, that's, you know, this moment where the early church decided, hey, we should, like, practice this. Like, we should do this every week to remember what Jesus did, to celebrate. And so the early church has always done this. In fact, in the book of Acts, there's four things that the early church, the very first Christians, devoted themselves to. And one of those four things was the breaking of bread. It was the Lord's Supper. So if anything, the church, when they said, hey, here are the four things we're going to be known for, one of them was communion. So it's a pretty big deal. It's very, very important. And so we need to you know, kind of unpack why is it so important? Why do we do it the way we do it? So in order to kind of help that, because again, because it's done so differently in so many different churches, sometimes it comes to us sort of like a mixed bag, like what, what's really going on here? It's confusing. What really does communion mean? What really happens? And so there's a couple challenges from church history. We just kind of have to understand and know what's going on in the background. So the first challenge is Jesus's presence in communion, because that's something that a lot of churches actually disagree on. Now, in about the first 200 years of church history, everybody believed, hey, Jesus is present in communion. That's why it's so important. He's present. He's here. And towards the end of about the 200s, they started to try to figure out, well, how is he here? How does that work? And over about the next 1,000 years or so, theologians developed that until eventually it became a doctrine that if if you grew up Catholic or familiar with the Catholic Church, you've probably heard this word. Here's a million-dollar word for you transubstantiation. And transubstantiation is this doctrine that evolved over all those years in the early church, which eventually became, okay, if Jesus is present, how is is he present? And the explanation was, well, the bread and the wine literally become the body and blood of Jesus. And so it's literally, we are eating the body and blood of Jesus. That's what transubstantiation means. That's how they explained that. Now, in the 1500s, when the reformers kind of broke away from the Catholic Church. So when the Protestant Church started, and you had like Martin Luther, for example, Martin Luther didn't exactly agree with that. So he created his own million-dollar word, consubstantiation. He just changed the front end of it. So he still really thought that Jesus was present in communion, but that the, the bread and the wine didn't literally become Jesus's body, but Jesus was sort of present in the bread. Like he just had a different way of explaining it. So he was a little more on that side, but not, not all the way. Now, many of you probably don't actually know. You may know Luther, but you probably don't know the guy who was like a contemporary with Martin Luther. And so, he, you know, here's a name for you, Holdrich Zwingli. How'd you like that for your first name? Hey, Holdrich, what's going on? But Holdrick Zwingli was a theologian at the same time as Martin Luther, and he sort of went in a different direction. And he said, well, they're just symbols. They're just symbols. It's just bread. It's just wine. Nothing, nothing special happens. They're just symbols. So he made a big deal of Jesus' phrase, do this in remembrance of me. You know, the reason that the front of our communion table says, in remembrance of me, or if you've been to a church where they put in big letters, in remembrance of me, they got that from Zwingli. That's the theologian in the 1500s who said, that's what we should do. That's how we're going to emphasize this. We do this to remember Jesus. So that's the first challenge of how is Jesus present. But the second challenge is, well, what's the proper place of communion in a worship service? Is it at the front? Is it in the middle? Is it at the end? You know, do we all like, do we pass trays with COVID? We all have these rip and sip cups that taste like cardboard. But, you know, do we do that? Do we have like a processional to the front? Like, do you do it weekly, quarterly, monthly? You know, how does that, how does that even work? So in the early church, they took communion every time they got together. So at the very beginning, that was like daily. Like every day, people would get together, they'd have communion. You have a small group, communion. You have some church friends over for dinner, you have communion. Like they just always did it. And then pretty early on, they switched. Let's just do it on Sundays when we all gather together. So they did it weekly. But throughout church history, um, that has changed at different times. Because for a while, there was a time where uh, the sermon became the most important part to everybody. People just love sermons, like, hey, let's make the sermon longer, let's have the worship music prepare you for the sermon, and then we'll do stuff at the end to kind of bring you down from the sermon, but it's all about the sermon. And if you're just like, all about the sermon, thanks, I appreciate it, but the sermon's actually not the most important part of worship. And, you know, probably in more recent history, what's become the most important part of worship for a lot of people is the music, and so we've expanded kind of how much do we do music in worship, you know, have a big band, you know, put a lot of money into lights and, and everything that goes with that. And none of that's bad, but sometimes we've made it seem like, well, the music, that's the most important part. But actually, communion's the most important part. To the early church, the reason we get together is to celebrate communion. It's to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And there's kind of this revival going on now throughout Christianity to say, well, let's get, let's get communion back where it's supposed to be as like the highlight, the climax, the most important part of what we are doing. And there's important, an important reason for that that we're going to get to. You know, and so for us, part of the reason we practice communion every week is because it's really that important. You know, and usually the, you know, when a church does it, you know, quarterly or annually or like on certain Sundays, usually one of the reasons you'll hear is, well, we don't want it to be like boring or becomes too routine and we don't take it seriously enough. And sure, you can, you know, okay, you can, you can make that argument. I think for us, what's important to understand what happens in communion is so we don't just let it become this routine that's just kind of, all right, whatever, it's communion again, but that it's important. And it really doesn't matter every week that we take communion. So to kind of help us, so those are the, these two challenges. So to help us kind of understand why communion was so important and why even at the beginning of the church, they said, hey, let's, let's make communion one of the things we're known for. I want to take you to the passage that the early church kind of grounded their understanding of communion in. And that's Luke chapter uh, 24 starting in verse 28. This is kind of a story that for the early church was really significant for for how they thought about communion. So this is this story occurs right after Jesus rises from the dead. Some of you will be familiar with it. It's, you know, the journey on the road to Emmaus and Jesus He's on the road, he's just resurrected, and he meets these two guys. And they're talking about what's happened in Jerusalem, and this person who's been crucified, and was he really the Messiah? And Jesus comes up and talks with them for a bit, and then this happens at the end of kind of that exchange in verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. In other words, it's not safe to go walking out in the middle of the wilderness all by yourself. Stay here. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So this story became really important to the early church because they said, Huh, you've got these two guys. Jesus has just risen from the dead and they physically see him and they have no idea who he is. They don't even know it's Jesus. So that's a little strange. And then Jesus, like almost like he preaches to them a little bit. Because they've got these questions, and he just kind of walks through the Old Testament while they're walking on the road, and explains how all these passages explain that, yeah, Jesus really is the Messiah. This was really God's plan. And they still don't get that this is Jesus. But when they do know it's Jesus is when they're sitting at the table with him. He breaks bread. He gives thanks. He gives it to them. It's during communion that they go, oh, you're Jesus. And then sneaky Jesus, he just disappears and goes somewhere. We don't know where he disappears. And that was, for the early church, so important to say, huh, there's something about communion, there's something that happens that's beyond what we can understand. There's something about it that opens our eyes to who Jesus is. And so here's the reality of communion. The reality of communion is we meet Jesus when we take communion. Every time we take communion each week, we are getting to meet Jesus in his presence. And that's kind of that, you know, the historical challenge of like, well, is Jesus present? And how is he present? Like, I really believe, and, and Christians for 2,000 years have really believed, Jesus is present in communion. How is he present? I have no idea. Good luck explaining it. I think it's a mystery. I think it's something we're just not going to be able to fully understand. So how's it work? I have no idea. But somehow he's here, he's present with us. Actually important. Because we, we need that presence in our lives. And there's a way that we meet him on Sunday in a way that's just a little bit different. We're all gathered together in communion. Now for most of us, communion is, you know, we're kind of used to communion being sort of a somber, more quiet moment where we all kind of reflect individually on our sins and how Jesus has forgiven us and we reflect and then, you know, when you're ready, you, you, know, you take communion. That's kind of what we're used to. But actually, that's only one way to celebrate and practice communion. There's actually at least four different ways that communion can be practiced. So because we're all really used with, with this way that's typically called, actually called the Lord's Supper, where you focus on Jesus died for my sins, he's forgiven me, you kind of reflect on your sinfulness and, and ask for forgiveness. We're really familiar with that one. So I just want to talk real quickly about the other three that we're not as familiar with. So the second way that you could do communion is called a Thanksgiving meal or Eucharist. And so Eucharist might be like, you're familiar with that, is like the, you know, that's how Catholics refer to communion typically is it's Eucharist. But Eucharist just means giving thanks. It's just the Greek word for to give thanks. And a Thanksgiving meal is communion where you focus on the resurrection of Jesus. And instead of being kind of somber, it's more upbeat and joyous. Because you're expressing gratitude that Jesus has defeated sin, conquered death, defeated everything we're afraid of, defeated sin and evil, and is still alive. So instead of it being kind of this, I'm sorry, Jesus, you know, this quiet moment, it's a little more upbeat, a little more like, He did it, this is good, this is a good thing. It's a Thanksgiving meal, so it's exciting. And this looks at, you know, in all the Gospels, when Jesus does the Last Supper, he gives thanks for the bread and the wine before he passes it out. And Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, he calls the cup for communion. He says it's the cup of thanksgiving. So that's why the church has this thanksgiving meal. It's a way to celebrate and give thanks for what God has done during communion. The third way is called family meal. And so a family meal looks at 1 Corinthians chapters 10 and 11 and notices that Paul, when he's instructing them on how to do communion, he keeps saying this word, come together, come together, come together which really, that Greek word is actually a little more powerful than just come together. It means adversaries being united. It's this idea of people coming together in a community. And even, I mean, this is typically, we like to sometimes call the family meal communion. And literally, it's in, it's in the name, come union, like come together. It's right there. And it's this idea that we get to celebrate fellowship with God. It's that for worship and for communion, it is God inviting us to his dining room table. And we're going to sit down, have a meal with him. And just like when you have a family meal with somebody, right? You're you're, ta- you're having fun, you're laughing, you're talking about serious things and funny things, you're just talking about how your day went. It's this kind of close fellowship. Because you don't get invited to just anybody's dining room table. It's a special invitation. You know, it's, it's like a uh, you know, it's like here this week, we're going to be all celebrating Thanksgiving and have a great, you know, family meal all together, but it's like Thanksgiving meal, and you just remove the awkward political drama of that, you know, that crazy uncle, you're like, please don't, please don't say it. You just, just get rid of that, and it's this wonderful meal that we get to have together, and it's a warm and mellow tone, because it's like, hey, we're just, we're a family, we're coming together. And the fourth way you can celebrate communion is called the Heavenly Feast which looks at how Jesus said, I'm not going to drink this cup again until you're with me in my father's house. And it looks at Revelation and how there's this image of when Jesus comes back, there's going to be this great banquet, the wedding feast of the lamb and his church. And it's, and it's upbeat, it's exciting, it's celebratory. It's, Jesus is a victorious king. So it's not, God, I'm really sorry for my sin. It's, we won. It's, I mean, it's exciting, it's high energy. It's like, this is the best thing that could have ever happened. And I saw one church celebrate this heavenly feast uh, in a pretty interesting way. They did it during their Easter service, and during the whole Easter service, they had a black curtain on the back of their stage. Usually they'd have like a stage design, but instead of just this plain black curtain. And the band during communion time played uh, just, you know, what you're kind of used to. They played quiet, they played kind of underneath everything that was happening, everyone's taking communion. But while communion's going on, they just got louder and louder and louder, and got a little more upbeat, and just kept doing that during communion. And the tech crew started turning on some extra lights, and putting some splashes of, of color lights on the stage. And, and then once the band hit their crescendo and got to the biggest moment, they, the curtains got pulled back to reveal this really beautiful, colorful stage design. The crew turned on all these lights, and then the ushers brought out beach balls, and started like passing them out into the audience. Now, you have to understand, this is a church that it took a really long time. We had quite a fight to like, get the church to like, clap during worship. They're like, we can clap in church? Yeah, you can clap in church. And so beach balls were coming out like, we can, can we do this in church? I don't know about this. Now, we also had this huge section of college students. And so they're like, beach balls, let's go. And they're like picking them up and, you know, splashing them halfway across the worship center and having really a lot of fun. But that was how they were trying to capture when communion is this this type of celebration it's a heavenly feast, it's exciting, it's celebratory because Jesus won, he's still alive, he has victory. And they were trying to get everybody's attention of, this is what it feels like that Jesus has won. You got to shock people a little bit with beach volleyballs, I guess. And it was really fun. I can still remember that service vividly. So there's this bigger picture to communion. Communion is kind of like this, this diamond where when you turn it, every time you turn it, the light just looks a little bit different. And so there's actually four different ways we can do communion. And in all of them, we still take the bread, we still have the juice, but it might be the feels a little bit different, or we might have additional parts that go along with it to help us understand it's more than just Jesus' forgiveness of of our sin. It's also that he's bringing us together as a family. He's inviting us to his dining room table. It's that he's victorious and still is. And we need those reminders and that presence from Jesus in all those ways in different seasons of our life. So if you've been paying attention to this series, then you'll remember that every sermon I've said, hey, this series is rooted in the book of Hebrews. Like, well, uh, you're checking your watch, like we haven't even gotten to the book of Hebrews yet, so is this like a really long sermon? No, don't worry, we're almost, we're almost there. But I decided to save Hebrews to the end because there's a passage in Hebrews that I think the author takes these four kinds of ways of looking at communion, and he just blends them all together in this one picture so in hebrews chapter 9 starting with verse 11 here's what he says but when christ came as high priest of the good things that are now already here he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands that is to say it's not a part of creation he did not enter by means of the blood of goats and cows But he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse us our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. In other words, all the different ways that that we can celebrate communion are right here. That Jesus has died to cleanse our conscience, that he is victorious because he went through this perfect tabernacle that's not a part of creation, He's still alive because he's our high priest mediating between us and God. And he's called us. He's called us to come into his father's house, into his dining room table, and be a part of his family. So it's all combined in this picture that the author of Hebrews gives us. Because what happens in this moment of communion is something that's just beyond what we can understand. See, when Jesus used the word, in remembrance of me, that's actually this little, little Greek word that it actually doesn't just mean like, I remember like, hey, where, my, where are my car keys? Oh, yeah, I remember where they're at. It's not that kind of remember. It means more like there's something in the past that affects my present. And because it affects my present, it tells me about my future. It's this word about something a long time ago making a difference today. And because it makes a difference today, it changes how I'm going to live. And so what Jesus is really saying is, because of everything he did, when we come together for communion every week, it's this opportunity to know that because of what Jesus did so many years ago, what we need today, he can offer us. Whether that's forgiveness, whether that's a place to belong, or whether that's, we need need a sense of victory, we need some courage and some strength to be able to deal with whatever is happening in our lives. His presence offers that. So one evening, uh, there was this little girl who came screaming and crying into the living room, and her dad was very, very concerned about this. And she's just bawling, bawling. He's like, honey, what's what's wrong? Dad, are we going to run out of money? And he's sitting there trying to think, like, did something happen at school? Did something, like, why would she think this? Did something happen with a friend? Like, why would she be thinking this? And he thinks for a minute, and then he gets up out of his recliner, and he says, okay, come with me into the kitchen. So they go into the kitchen. And he opens up the refrigerator and he says, hey, what, what do you see? And she's like, he's still sobbing, like uh, spaghetti. Like she starts to finally through tears, kind of mention what she's seeing. It's like, well, there's spaghetti, there's eggs, milk, juice. Like she's just kind of listing off the things in the fridge. It's like, all right, good. Closes the fridge, goes over to the pantry, opens the pantry doors. What do you see? Goldfish, cookies, candy, stuff mom's, mom uses to bake with. Like, all right, good closes the pantry, takes her up to her bedroom, opens the closet door, what do you see? And now she's kind of loosened up a little bit, having a little more fun. Like, well, there's my Halloween costume from last year when I was a princess, and there's my favorite pair of jeans, and I love this shirt, even though mom thinks it's silly that I wear it, and, like, you know, she's just describing her favorite outfits. And he's like, okay, so you have clothes to wear, like, when it's hot outside, right? Yeah. And you have warm clothes to wear when it's really cold, right? Yeah. And you have really comfy clothes to wear when you go to sleep, right? Yeah? Like, okay. And when you're hungry, what do you do? Ask you and mom for a snack? Yeah. And don't we always have snacks for you? Yeah. Like, so don't worry about running out of money. We're, your mom and I, we're going to take care of you. You'll be fine. Now, that, that young girl, she was old enough to, for some reason, think maybe we can run out of money. But she is not old enough to understand budgets and spreadsheets. And bank accounts, right? Like if Dad was said, "Well, honey, come up here on the recliner and let me show you. You know, here's my bank app, and here's our checking account, and here's the savings account, and let me show you our investment portfolio, and here's your college fund, and here's the rate of return." And so what that means is, and she'd be like, "What? You know, if he pulls open, here's our Excel spreadsheet where we track our budgets." And she'd be like, "Ah, Dad, I don't understand. What does that even mean? I don't even know." She doesn't understand all that, but she can understand a fridge with food a warm, comfortable bed to sleep in, clothes, clothes in the closet, she can understand that. We may not be able to understand all the ways that God works and everything he's up to, but we can understand this. It's something as simple as a piece of bread and a cup of juice. And what's so helpful about this is it's tangible. Like every week, you get to actually feel A little piece of bread. Yes, maybe it's a little more like cardboard in this form. I don't know. But you get to feel it, and you get to taste it, and you get to taste the juice. Like, every week, you get to know that this really, it's really here. And as real as this is, is as real as all of God's promises. As real as this is, is the reality that he forgives you. As real as this is, it's just as real as that he's on the throne. He's still in charge. He's coming back. That's why we do this every week. Because it helps us to know that Jesus is real. Because sometimes it's hard, because Jesus is kind of like an invisible friend. But this is his way of saying, I'm not as invisible as you think. I'm here, I'm coming back. So We may not be able to understand everything, but we can understand this. That's why we do communion every single week, to be in God's presence because we need his presence to help us with whatever we're going through. So here in a minute, we're all going to take communion together. But here's how we're going to do it. We're going to do it a little bit differently. So first, I just I don't want us to rush in or out of communion. So what we're going to do here in just a minute is I'm just going to give us a moment just to kind of pause and to slow down and reflect. And so what that means just you need know, to kind of think about, the, you know, what we've been talking about, or you need a little bit of time to pray, or just, just to take a breath and just just slow down, or take a moment for that. And then I'm going to come back up and lead us all in communion together. So don't take communion yet. Let's just pause for a moment. All right, so as we take communion all together, here's what I'm going to do, is I'm going to lead us in taking the bread and taking the juice. So I'm just going to say what Jesus said in Matthew, and then I'll give the signal. You'll tell us, I'll I'll get us ready to take the bread. We'll take the bread together, and then I'll say the next line, and we'll take the juice together. So go ahead and get, I know some of you are getting your cups ready. So we take communion every week. As just a reminder But also as a way for us to know Jesus is here and he's with us. So, on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, he gave thanks for it, and he broke it, giving it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body broken for you. Then Jesus took the cup. After giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and drink, for this is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for all for forgiveness of sin. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence and your sacrifice and your grace, but also for your justice, your wisdom and that you are the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and you're still on your throne. And so, God, help us. Help us in times when we're discouraged and want to give up. Help us in times when we're just too prideful and need some humility. Give us the wisdom to know how to live our lives and how to follow you well. And Holy Spirit, help us to be more aware of your presence of your voice that's still calling us and leading us. Thank you for all you've done for us and all you'll continue to do for us and help us hold fast until you come again. Amen. Now, as we get ready to continue to worship through music, I'm gonna head to the parlor on my right, your left. And if you're in here and you haven't decided to follow Jesus yet, I'd love to talk with you. You can come back there during these next couple of Psalms or if you just need some prayer, love to meet you back here and pray with you as well. And if you're watching us online, hey, we're so glad you joined us online, and we'd love to see you in person soon. We hope you'll, you'll come visit us. Um, but if you also have a decision to make for Jesus, want to know more about what it's like to follow him and belong to a church, all the information you need is going to be on the screen. So that's our phone number, email address, and you can always send us a Facebook message, and we'd love to connect with you and help answer questions and help you find a place to belong.